Hi, everybody. I'm so happy you're back listening to the podcast. Today, you will hear a conversation I had with Good Blackson, a best-selling author who has been a guest on Larry King's TV show, as well as on Tom Bilyeu's Impact Theory podcast. We discussed the importance of finding your truth, embracing resistance, and the beauty of surrendering to life. Please turn on notifications for your streaming platform. It directly helps me invite more and bigger guests. Enjoy the show. Hello, Kut. Nice to meet you. So uh, glad you could make it to the podcast today. I was very inspired by hearing your story and I wanted to share that with the audience. You are a writer of two beautiful books. You've inspired a lot of people and I wanted to dive in your backstory for a little bit because it's quite an interesting backstory Uh you had and uh, I think it can inspire a lot of people. So could you elaborate a little bit on where you're coming from? Yeah, look, I was born in Ghana, West Africa. My father's from Ghana. My mother's Japanese. I grew up in London. I live in the US. So I'm a citizen of the world from everywhere and nowhere. As a young boy, I always uh, felt people very deeply. And so I was a very empathetic kid and I would feel people's pain. I would feel people's suffering. And there was always a part of me, I think, that wanted to alleviate suffering in some way. I didn't know what that would look like. And so some would say I had a bit of an unusual childhood. For me, it's all I knew. It was. It felt very normal. Like my first memories as a young boy, I remember seeing a crippled woman crawling on the floor and she picks up the gravel, the sand that this man walks on, wipes it on her face and stands up. And so week after week, I grew up seeing miracles, you know, blind people seeing, deaf people hearing, people standing up out of wheelchairs. The same man whose sand she picked up would look at a woman in a wheelchair and say, why are you in this wheelchair? Stand up. The same man would look at a person who would come in with crutches and say, throw your crutches away. And so this man was my father. He built 300 churches in Ghana, West Africa, uh, had a huge church in, in London, about 5,000 people every Sunday. And so I grew up in this environment of possibilities that just felt very normal uh, in a beautiful way. When I was age eight, I began speaking in my father's churches. That began my speaking career. At age 14, I was ordained as a minister given the mandate to take over my father's organization. And, you know, at 14, I knew I wanted to help people, but I didn't feel it was through my father's churches. And so I I think like many of us, I allowed fear to kind of hijack my voice and freedom. And I went along with it. And for four years, I tried to fit myself into a box of being who I thought I needed to be in order to get love and validation. That was tough. But when I turned 18, I reached a moment of choice, another pivotal moment in my life that sent me on a different path. I looked into my future and I saw that I could, I could take over my father's church. I could follow the expected path because my life was basically set out for me. But I saw that if I followed the expected path, even if I was successful, if I didn't have myself, if I didn't have my soul, if I didn't have my truth, if I didn't have my own integrity, what kind of success is that? You know, And so I basically made a choice that was very difficult. I decided to follow my soul. I felt a calling in my soul to come to America, to, to, leave, to leave my father's organization, to come to America. I wanted to go into the field of personal growth and 
spirituality and personal development. And the challenge was I had no college degree, no money, no support from family. I was kind of alone. But I think when your soul guides you, when your soul calls you, it doesn't always make sense to your mind. It doesn't always make sense to your logic. But when your soul guides you, when your soul calls you, it may be inconvenient, but when you follow your soul, this is what I've seen. When you follow your soul without compromise, you'll always end up in the right place at the right time with the right people doing the right thing. And so I decided to follow my soul and come to the U.S. And uh, long story short, had the conversation with my father, left everything behind. It was incredibly difficult. Ended up winning a green card in the green card lottery, which enabled me to, as an 18-year-old kid, come to America with $800 in my pocket and a dream and a vision and start from scratch. And so I came and I found mentors. Many of the teachers and authors I'd read about as a kid, I would sneak into my father's office and I would steal his self-help books. Everyone from Osho and Krishnamurti to Louise Hay, Wayne Dyer, Marion Williamson, Deepak Chopra. And I became obsessed with just trying to understand the purpose of life and the meaning of life, you know. And so when I came to the U.S., I went and found many of these authors and learned from them and studied with them and met many of them. And, and after a few years, another shift happened for me where I won't bore you with the details, but I decided to travel to find myself, to find my deeper purpose and ended up walking the Camino in northern Spain, a 900-kilometer trek, uh, a spiritual walk for a month. And then I ended up in India, and it was my time in India that really cracked me open to another level of reality, that cracked me open to another dimension of truth, that awakened me, you could say. And it was, was profound, really profound. And that gave me a sense of my purpose, and that's when I came back to the U.S. again as a young man and began working with people one-on-one. And uh, one person came, another person came, and then I created a way of working with people. I just called it uncoaching. And uh, people's lives transformed. And it just started to spread and grow and evolve over the years. And people came from around the world and small groups, large groups, seminars, larger seminars, and uh, two best-selling books. And so here we are. That is almost a movie-like storytelling <laughs> now. Maybe we will see a movie like that uh, one day. I hope so. I liked what you, what you said at the beginning of your story that you grew up with possibilities. Yeah. But to see those possibilities, that has to be inside you already. I mean, I think <clears throat> more people grow up with possibilities, but that you were able to see them at such a young age, I think that's very profound and, and very... And you have to be awake already to, to life a bit, is, is, is how I perceive that. How would you say that from growing up with possibilities and discovering yourself from back then to where you are right now, what, what is a pivotal moment? What is it inside of you that could be inspiring for, for the listener? Is How can you be aware of those, those possibilities? You have to be aware first to mm-hmm. to engage with them, right? Yeah, you know, I, I think the possibilities are all around us. I think that the miraculous is all around us. We're just not paying attention. We live our life like everything is just normal and we live our life like no big deal. But the truth is right now, for you and I to be able to have this conversation, 
there are trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions of processes happening, interacting inside of your brain, inside of your mind, inside of your body, just to be able to say one word. Right now, there's an intelligence inside of you that is digesting your food. You had breakfast this morning, or maybe your time zone, you had dinner, and you had some salad, you had some rice, you had some vegetables. And How is it that your hand doesn't turn into a vegetable? How is it that your nose doesn't turn into a, a salad? There's something inside of you, an intelligence that is digesting your food. There's an intelligence that is functioning you. Well, what is this intelligence, you know? There's, there's trillions of cells interacting just for you and I to be able to breathe right now is nothing short of a miracle. But somehow we walk around like no big deal, but it's a big deal. And every moment of our life is a big deal. And people often say, wow, did you really see these miracles? It's amazing, these possibilities. But just look in the mirror. You know, somehow we forget that we are the greatest possibility of life itself manifested as you, as me. And so I think we have to bring our attention to that dimension of reality by paying attention to What's inside of us? What is it that's breathing us? What is it that's living us? And so I think if we can just bring our attention there, it's pretty awe-inspiring and miraculous. I think when we look out at the world, we walk around like nothing, but there's a freaking sun shining. There are clouds floating in the sky. There's you know a moon happening, like big deal. No, it's a big deal. What the hell is a moon? What the hell is a sun? And so somehow we just have lost touch with, with the miracle that is each moment. And I think each moment is a miracle to be able to breathe. I mean, it sounds simple, but the moment we can't breathe is no joke. And so just to be able to breathe, to walk around in this, I mean, life is like living art. You don't have to go to a museum, just walk around the world and you see living art. So I kind of say that the world, the manifest world is like the, manif the physical manifestation of the mind of God. And so it is the creative manifest expression of God's mind, God's creativity. So in acknowledging and loving the world, all of it, all of the creation of the world that we live in, we are kind of loving God through loving the world. And so, you know, life isn't perfect. Life isn't all bliss and light all the time. There's challenges and heartbreak and difficulty. And, you know, we can get into that if you want, but it's not perfect but it still is damn beautiful if we're willing to just look around and look at all of the shades and flavors and creativity creativity that life is you know and so i think part of it is just acknowledging the miracle of this moment and the miracle the miraculousness of of life and who we are and what we are and just you know being in touch with that which we often don't because we're so busy trying to get somewhere or achieve something that we miss what's right in front of us you know like if you want to see God, just look into the eyes of your child. You know, if you want to see God, look into the eyes of your husband, your wife, your spouse, your boyfriend, your girlfriend. It's like, wow. Like when I hold my baby who's, you know, three, four months old now, it's like that is a miracle looking at me. And so what, what else do we want? What else are we looking for? Some blue light sort of kundalini awakening shakti you know plant medicine journey in some other world when right in front of you in the form of your parents in the form of your lover in the form of your baby child ch children is a miracle like wait a second have we lost our mind 
trying to trip out so that we can experience something in another dimension when in this dimension, this is real life, miraculous. So, so I think we just get to, to acknowledge it, you know, like, wait a second, let me look around. Let me take this in because life goes so fast, doesn't it? It's like before you know it, you're 20, then you're 30, then you're 40, then 50, 60, 70. And, you know, people that are 80 and 90 tell me it happened so fast. And, and so I think we have to appreciate, like, the greatest gift to self is life. And so I think we have to just appreciate every moment, even the shitty moments, even the difficult moments, because even some of the most difficult moments will look back and go, wow, I wish I could be there again. I wish I could experience that again, even, even that difficulty. And the truth is life is not perfect. So I'm not being Pollyanna about it, but what would life be if there was no heartbreak? How would we know the joy? You know, how would we know, appreciate the joy? How would we appreciate light if there was no darkness in light? That even the darkness is miracle. Even the darkness is, is full of possibility. What do you mean? The dark times, the difficult times, the challenging moments where all oh, there is is darkness in life, when it's so challenging and you feel like you want to die because you look outside and you don't see light, you don't see hope. Even that moment is full of possibility because even the darkness is a gift. Even the darkness in life He's actually inviting you back home to yourself. Because when you look at the darkness and you look outside and you can't see anything. See, when life is great and all is light, you don't have to go inside. But when you look outside and everything seems dark, the darkness forces you to go inside, to connect deeper, to go inside, to look inside. Because there's nothing you can see outside, so the only place to go is inside. So even that darkness is reconnecting you with something deeper inside of yourself. So even that darkness is a gift to connect with your light, to connect with your truth, to connect with your essence. And so possibilities are everywhere if we're just willing to look and open our eyes. I think that you describe that beautifully. And you also talk with very much conviction and passion. And I think that's truly one of your gifts. And I, you know, also I, speak, I, speak, I speak with conviction and passion because I don't speak from information. I don't speak because I read a few books the other day. I don't speak because I read, I watched a few YouTube videos. I speak because I've been broke. I've had minus in my account. I spoke because I didn't know how I was going to eat. I, sp I speak because I've had to steal food from the supermarket. I spoke because uh, I've been homeless and slept on the street and slept on friends' couches for months. I've been you know, abandoned by my father and heartbroken in relationships and lost the most important people in my life through deaths. And I'm still here and, 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 and I'm still alive. And, and so it's just because going through those experiences that I've come through and, and I know what is real and I know what is not real. I know what is true. I know what is not true. And so, yes, I speak from just a conviction of my own experience. Yeah, I think that's beautiful. So f from being that receptive for the possibilities you encountered uh, in, your, in your youth, I'm sure you have encountered, you already mentioned a few obstacles on that way. I mean, yeah. the relationship with your father <laughs> where he wanted you to follow up what he was doing, right? How did you find the knowledge in yourself that you were so sure that mm -hmm. was not the path you wanted to walk on that requires self-knowledge right yeah for me honestly it was just a feeling 
I remember when my father announced to thousands of people, my son is taking over. It was just a sense. It was just a feeling like something's not quite right here. You know, some, something, something doesn't quite add up here. You know, something doesn't quite connect here. And, and so it was a feeling, a sense more than anything. And I could deny it. I could have pretended, but when I was honest, it just didn't quite, you know, you, you know, like when you try on an outfit or go to a shop for some clothes and you try on an outfit and it, and it, it's kind of cool, but it doesn't quite fit, but it could almost fit. You know, that feeling is like, and you're trying to convince yourself, well, if I don't stretch, then it kind of fits. If I don't close the buttons in the front, then it kind of fits. If I don't bend down, then it kind of, then it doesn't, then it kind of fits. So you just kind of stand here. And if I just stand and do nothing, it fits. It doesn't really fit. And so we tried to convince ourselves. And so it, it was just kind of that feeling of doesn't quite fit. Something doesn't quite feel right. And so I tried to convince myself for many years, for many years, and fit myself into a box and make myself believe that what my father wanted was what I wanted. But the truth is it wasn't true. And, and you know, I think that one of the things that keeps us miserable, unhappy, stuck, stops us from that possibility of transforming are all the ways that we lie to ourselves. As human beings, we lie to ourselves for many reasons with which we can get into. We're often afraid of the consequence of telling the truth. We've been conditioned to lie to ourselves in order to keep ourselves safe, in order to get love, validation, and approval. And so I think if someone is really serious about beginning the process of transforming their lives and starting that process, we have to be willing to tell ourselves the truth by asking ourselves the question, what lies am I telling myself? You see, there is no transformation without truth. No transformation. The truth will set you free. And so you have to want the truth more than you want what you think you want. You have to want the truth more than you want what you have. And so I think when we can just start with the truth, okay, what am I lying to myself about? We stay in relationships that we know it's not right. We work jobs that we hate, that we know we are compromising our integrity. We say yes when we mean no, when we betray ourselves to get love, validation, and approval. And so I think if we're willing to tell the truth to ourselves, that's where transformation begins. And sometimes we're afraid of telling the truth because we're afraid of the consequence. So I just tell people, look, take, take the pressure off of yourself from having to even take action. It's like, oh shit, if I tell the truth, then I'm going to have to break up. If I tell the truth. And so it's almost like the ego kicks in as a self-protective mechanism to protect us. And so if we could just start with the truth, like you don't have to take action. You don't have to do anything. Just tell the truth. I hate my job. Okay. You don't have to leave your job, but just start with the truth. I hate my job. Begin that process. I hate my job. Feel that. Okay. Uh, I'm not in love with this person anymore. I haven't been in love with them for five years. Scary. Just, just acknowledge the truth because that begins a process. You can only change something when you're willing to get into relationship with it and tell the truth about it. And so I'm not in love with this person. It's scary. What does that mean? You don't have to leave. But that begins a process inside where you start feeling some things and that will take you on a, on a journey of unraveling and clarity. And so I think if we're willing to start with the truth, everything begins to shift. And that is the beginning of transformation. I find it very interesting because 
you f- found that truth in yourself. I think a lot of people take for granted that they are not feeling in their most optimal way. And I'm, like you said, it's not always fun and it's not, life's not always good or, or beautiful in, in a sense. But I find it inspiring that you got in touch with that truth inside of yourself. Mm-hmm. I, I felt like I didn't have a choice, you know, more than anything. And, 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 you know, some people will say, well, I don't know what the truth is. I don't know. No, I don't, I don't even know. How do I know if I'm even lying to myself? I'm not even, but here's the thing. If you feel pain in your life, that is a sign. And it manifests like this. You feel emotional pain, heaviness, sadness, agitation, anger, depression. Like, oh, I feel so depressed. It's usually a sign that you're suppressing some feelings, suppressing some deeper truths that you're not acknowledging. It's number one. It's a sign. Pain, physical pain, backache, shoulder ache, you know, some physical ailment, disease, ongoing disease. It could be a sign that, that it's like your subconscious is speaking to you through your body and your body is talking to you, right? And, and so when we lie to ourselves, it is painful. It is painful. It's meant to be painful. People often think that, oh, when you feel pain, something is wrong. Something is bad. No, nothing's bad. It's just pain. It's feedback showing you where you're not in alignment. Pain is feedback showing you where you're not ancient, where you're not living in integrity. And so I think we have to make pain our friend. Pain is feedback. Pain is a blessing. Pain is a mirror just showing you Hey, pay attention here. What are you not being honest about? What are you not being truthful about? When you lie to yourself, it is meant to be painful. It's not meant to feel good. Like, hey, I lie to myself and I feel great. It's like <laughs> I eat shit, dog shit from the street and I feel amazing. No, you eat dog shit. You feel terrible. I lie to myself. I feel terrible. This is a sign of sanity. This is a sign that you're healthy. But what we often do is we feel the pain and we distract ourselves. We drink it away, smoke it away, sex it away, drug it away, social media away. We distract ourselves so the pain increases. The pain grows. The pain grows. We suppress it more and we stay in this, this, this negative cycle and loop. And so acknowledge the pain, feel the pain, receive the message of the pain and course correct. I think that is a very uh, nice way to look at pain indeed mm-hmm. because people often want to deviate from, from that pain. and that's Exactly bringing them them further away from their truth is, is yep. what I take away from your story. In your first book, you have nice chapters, and I I'll, I'll, can even call them pillars of how you reach that truth in yourself. How, how can one find those pillars in themselves? Yeah, I, I think the first place is to start with the truth. If you start telling yourself the truth, the real truth and nothing but the truth, your life will transform. Many of the things that we pray about, we go to God, go to temple, go to church. God, please help me with my relationship. God, please help me with this issue. God will say, hey, 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 listen, you're bothering me. Go home, tell yourself the truth. Once you tell yourself the truth, let's see if the problem is still there, if you even need prayer. Because many of, many of the things we pray about and meditate about would dissolve if we just told ourselves the truth. So I think if we start with the truth, that is a huge foundation to begin. But I don't know if there's anything more specific you want to ask about that. 
Well, what I thought you did really well with the with the book is that you really uh, nicely deconstructed to to find your truth, like you mm -hmm. describe it, and uh, that that deconstructing can make it at least for me can make it more accessible for people to to reach into those depths of your truth. If you understand what I'm saying. When you say deconstruction, which part are you talking about? You mean in terms of how we get conditioned or? Well, what I find interesting about the book is that, that you, of course, you, you read through certain chapters and that makes it more accessible because you uh, talk about different aspects of that journey, finding your true self. Yeah. So look, the moment we're, from the moment we're born, I think we're in touch with our truth. We're in touch with our authentic essence. As children, we're, we are free. We are. A child will cry when they feel like crying. Being honest, you know, they poop when they feel like pooping. They're not lying. They, 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 they run around, will run naked, and they don't feel shame like, hey, I, I look a little fat today. They're just being, right? A child will, a little baby will, will jump on the table and sing doesn't care if it doesn't sound like Bruno Mars or Celine Dion. It's just being whatever is being, you know? And I think that's, that's the beauty. You look into a baby's eyes, a child's eyes, a young child, there's a purity there. That's truth. The truth of who they are is looking through their eyes. And so what happens when we start losing touch with our essence, our true nature? Well, we incarnate into this human experience, whole, perfect, and complete. Pure being, magnificent, pure light. We incarnate. Then we meet our parents. God bless them. Our parents are just doing the best that they know how to do based on their childhood and their childhood and their parents and their grandparents. And so maybe, so now we're born into a preset pattern of conditioning, right? And so maybe dad is crazy. Maybe mom is an alcoholic. Maybe they're, maybe they're, maybe they're fighting all the time. Maybe they're good people, but they just did not know how to meet our emotional needs. And that was painful. So the first thing that happens is we learn all sorts of strategies to shut down, disconnect, and not feel. We suppress, 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 suppress our feelings, suppress the pain, suppress the anger, suppress the shame, suppress, suppress, suppress. And before you know it, layers and layers and layers and layers and layers of unfelt, unprocessed feeling begins to get covered up underneath our true light underneath our authentic essence. And we start losing touch with our truth. We start losing touch with our feeling capacity because we learn to suppress our feeling capacity. And if we're not feeling deeply and clearly, then we don't even know what our truth is and what our truth isn't because we've learned to disconnect from our feelings. We've learned to lie to ourselves about how we feel. No, I feel great. No, I don't feel anything. No, I don't care. I don't need anybody. No, it doesn't matter when in fact it does, but we've had to disconnect from our feeling capacity in order to function, survive, and cope. And so we also learn to kind of erect a wall around our heart to deal with the pain of not feeling mom is around, not feeling dad is around, not feeling loved and that's painful right so that's the first thing now we go through our entire life disconnected from our true feeling because often it was painful but in an effort to now deal we go through life age 5 age 10 age 15 age 20 age 30 age 40 not in touch with our heart not in touch with our feeling not in touch with what's real because we couldn't be in touch with what was real because what felt real was painful 
So that begins the process of disconnection and lying to ourselves. Then we learn all sorts of strategies as young children. Who do I need to be in order to be loved? Who do I need to be in order to get love and validation and approval? Oh, when I'm sweet, nice, and kind, dad loves me. When I get all A's, dad loves me. When I'm quiet, mom loves me. So we learn a strategy a to develop a role, a mask, a persona of who we think we need to be in order to get love, validation, and approval. We become, we contort ourselves into a shape of becoming who we think we need to be in order to get love, validation, approval. And we hold on to this way of being as a role, as a mask, as a character, as a persona, thinking that the version of ourselves that we've become is who we are. Not realizing that it's not who we really are, it's just what we've been conditioned to be. So we learn to lie about who we are. Oh, if I'm this way, not this way, I suppress this about myself, can't show this about myself, can't show this, I got to be what I think mom wants me to be. So now we also start learning to lie, in quotation marks, about who we are in order to be loved. It's survival. It's a defense mechanism. It's survival. And so it becomes so ingrained and so conditioned that we don't even know, that we don't even know. We don't even know that it's not who we are. We think it's who we are. And now we go through life avoiding pain, putting on a role on a mask, betraying parts of ourselves to get you to love me. So we get into a relationship and we pretend to be who we think the other person wants us to be. We go on a first date as an example, like, hi, hi, how are you on a first date? I'm great. Oh, nice to meet you. What's your name? Okay, great. I love camping. I love camping too. We, wow, I met someone who loves camping. Now you get into a relationship, two years into the relationship. Let's go camping. I hate camping, but I thought you said you love camping. Boom, you know, and so we, we develop a role. We lie, you know, and, and not that it's intentional. It's often unconscious and it's conditioning. And so the degree to which we're conditioned is the degree to which we're not free. The degree to which we're conditioned is the degree to which we, we are making choices and running our life based on the programming of the past without knowing it. So we think we have free will, but we don't have free will because it's our childhood and our past conditioning and our parents and our grandparents stuff that is running our life today often without our conscious awareness and so we have to start becoming aware of number one that we are conditioned we're conditioned number two we have to be willing to question our conditioning which is very hard because we get very stuck in the roles that we play number three as we start questioning our conditioning we have to start you know feeling some of those feelings that we've learned to suppress to keep us protected so that we can let some of that pain go and let go of some of the, the ways that we've learned to hold on and shut down and disconnect. I think you described that beautifully, that the truth you were talking about earlier yeah. is almost hidden underneath all those conditionings, all those thought patterns, all those yes. experiences. And I find it very inspiring that you, even though you experienced a whole lot by yourself that you kept in touch with that truth underneath that all those all those conditionings mm. but when you are in the journey of finding your truth you can always face hardship of course yeah. and you wrote about hardship in your last book could you elaborate on that briefly which hardship do you want me to speak about uh, with with your mother oh yeah look my mother in 2016, was diagnosed with stomach cancer. And I think that's what inspired the book in many ways, in that my mother was the person I loved the most. 
And so I began, I was living in Los Angeles and I do live in Los Angeles. And I began flying from LA to London where my mother lives every month. So three weeks in LA, one week in London, three weeks for 12 months, back and forth, back and forth. And I just got to really be with my mother. What started out as the worst year of my life ended up being the best year of my life because I got to spend time with her. You know, I got to just hold her hand in chemo sessions and take the time to celebrate her and take the time to just be with her. And it was so beautiful in many ways, you know, but it was hard. About seven months into the process, the doctors said to us, there's nothing else that we can do. So get your affairs in order. You're going to die. And that's a hard moment when you realize that you won't, I, I wouldn't see my mother again. The person I love the most. It's, it's a tough moment, you know, when, mm, when, when, yeah. when you know it's coming, but the reality is different. Cause you see, the only regret I've had in my life is not spending more time with my mother because I thought I had time. I thought I had time, but I realized there's no time. And we never know when that moment's going to come. I looked my mother in the eyes and I realized my mother would not see my children. My mother would, there were many things I wanted to do, to do with my mother that I would never get to do with her. And all the things I thought were important up until that moment, like I didn't have time to see my mother because I was so busy. Like none of that stuff really mattered, you know? And so it was a wake up call for me. And as I looked my mother in the eyes, I asked her two questions. The first one was, are you afraid? And my mother, who's a Japanese woman, my mother looked me in the eyes and she said, I'm not afraid because I know I'm not this body. This body is a temporary vehicle for my soul. So yes, this body will die, but I will not die. I will live on and I, I will be guiding you from the other side. And I thought that was such a powerful realization, you know, yeah. then I looked my mother in the eyes and I said, is there anything that I can, that I can do for you? in your final days. I wanted to be a good son, you see. And she looks me in the eyes and she said, there's, there's nothing else that I need and there's nothing that I want. The only thing that, that I want is what God wants for my life. And it was such a simple moment, a simple statement of reality that I realized that my mother was free. I saw in that moment a demonstration of surrender that was so profound. It's easy to surrender and be happy when you get what you want, but what about when you're facing death? And your mortality. My mother was not attached to living. My mother was not attached to dying. She was committed to the highest unfolding of her soul's journey. And that simplicity gave me the understanding of the power of surrender. That surrender is the password to freedom. Surrender is the key to the next level. Surrender is the real secret to manifestation beyond what we can imagine. And my mother demonstrated that for me. And it's been an inspiration to live that with a focused commitment ever since. And so, yes, it was a tough moment, but what started out as the worst year of my life turned out to be the best year of my life because I got to spend so much time with my mother. You know, I got to talk, talk with her for hours at a time in chemo sessions. I remember one chemo session with my mother. I looked at my mother and I said, you know, I actually thank cancer. She had stomach cancer. You see, I, I said, I thank cancer. And she said, why? Because somehow, Cancer's brought us closer together. Obviously, I wish she weren't dying, but somehow if this didn't happen, I probably wouldn't be spending this time. And so everything can be a blessing if you're willing to just look at it that way and find the gift inside of it. But sometimes your challenges come gift-wrapped, gift-wrapped, and you have to un unpeel the wrapping. 
I like how you put that in the end. And I find it a very touching uh, story as well, of course, because we all have a mother and we uh, don't want to see them go. Yeah. But um, the way you approach that, I find that, uh, yeah, touching is, is the right word, I guess. But when she died, I know you mentioned Krishnamurti, she died also to the moment. And uh, that is what I find really beautiful about death. But I think it is also very inspiring to do that in our daily life, yeah. to die to the moment or to surrender, how you put it. Mm -hmm. And how can we f facilitate the surroundings for ourselves to surrender more on a daily basis, not to wait to, to the end of our lives? I think a few ways. You know, One is, I would say, embrace your death. You're going to die, you know. Yeah. I'm going to die. You're going to die. Jesus died. Buddha died. Mother Teresa died. Mandela died. Ramana Maharishi died. Krishnamurti died. Yogananda died. Muhammad Ali died. Bob Marley died. Bruce Lee. I mean, we are going to die. There's, there's, there's no way out. And I think somehow we resist that in our culture today. Like we're going to live forever. Not in this body. Do you know, in this physical body. This body will die. It's temporary. And so I think the more we can just accept it, you know, embrace it, welcome it. It's like, I'm going to die. It's just fact. And if we can welcome it and embrace it and just face death, it frees you a bit because you're no longer resisting it. And so often we resist death because we're afraid. And in, in our fear of dying, we never truly live. In our fear of dying, we're afraid of living fully. And that stops us from loving and giving because we're protecting ourselves. So when you can embrace that, it frees you. It's like, wow. And so sit with, meditate on your death. Because when you meditate on your death, it gets you in touch with the real sacredness and reality of this moment. It's like, is this how I want to die right now? Sitting here, resisting. Is this how I want to die right now, procrastinating? Is this how I want to die right now, holding back my gifts from the world? Is this how I want to die right now, playing small? And if you really, because we think we have time, like I can do it next year. I can do it in five. No, I thought for myself, I, I could, there's so many things I could do with my mother and she was gone. And so if death came right now, would you be ready? And if not, why not? What's ungiven? What's unexpressed? What's uncommunicated? What's unloved? What's, what's unforgiven? Because when you die, each of us, we cannot go to our maker and ask God, hey, God, can I get a refund on those five years that I wasted in that relationship? Can I get a refund on those two years I wasted in that job I hated? It's gone. It's gone. Can I get a refund on those five years that I missed out on my child's Childhood, because I was busy arguing with the mother of my child. It's too late. And so I tell people, don't wait, you know, really feel your death and use it not as a negative thing. Use it as a reminder, awakening to live life. Use it as a reminder to get on with living so that if death came, you would have no regrets. And so how would you need to die? How would you need to live in such a way? that you have no regrets. What I like about that is when you meditate on, on your death, you uh, focus more on that it could end tomorrow. But what I experienced, for example, 
when I, I I'd like to be in control in sometimes, and even though I know that is not the answer nor not the way to live, but I feel a certain tension in my body sometimes, or when I don't know what is happening, I, I feel it spreading in my body and, yeah. and and to letting go that physical tension and letting go yes. that mental mental tension as well yes. i find that very difficult and i i think a lot of people struggle with that as well to to remove the the brakes like you said it uh, once to remove the brakes on, on life and how we can remove those brakes even more we can of course focus on the limit of our lifetime but how do we unravel those those tensions that we have in our way of, of approaching things or how we stay? Because surrendering comes from a place of trust, right? Yeah. Okay, so what I will say is what resists surrender is the ego. And if you understand that and work with that, then you can perhaps loosen the grip of, of, of holding on. Now, I don't think it's a formula like one, two, three, four, five, six, and there you go. I wish it was. If that was the case, probably 80% of humanity would be awakened and enlightened. <laughs> but it's kind of not like that. It's a process, right? It's a process. And so it's the ego that resists surrender. The ego, which is that version of ourselves that we mistakenly believe ourselves to be based on past memories, thoughts, history, pain, trauma, belief systems that we hold on to. So ego is a mistaken sense of identification. And ego is not a thing. Ego is a process. It's a process of identification. Ego is not a thing. It's a process of attachment. You understand? And so, and so a bicycle is a thing. Pedaling is a process. And so when we identify with ourselves as name, body, mind, belief systems, and hold on, that is ego. And so for the ego, surrender feels like a death. And so resistance, as you're talking about, is a natural response to surrender because if I let go of my belief systems, I let go of how certain feelings, if I let go of who I know myself to be, if I let go of what I think about life and myself, then who will I be? Because I believe myself to be my form, my body, my mind, my ideas, my identity, my feelings, my belief systems. And if I let that go, I'm going to die. And so uh, surrender is like a death. And so it's ego that resists surrender because the job of the ego is twofold. Number one, to protect you from getting hurt like you were hurt when you were young. And so the ego is kind of like a reaction to certain things that happened. It's like, oh, dad wasn't there. Needs weren't met. That was painful. Never going to feel that again. Close my heart. Go through life. And it felt so unstable growing up. So if I can control everything and everyone, then I don't have to feel that out of control again. And I don't have to feel that fe afraid and helpless in pain. So now we go through life trying to control everything and everyone so that we don't have to feel the same feelings that we felt then. And so what we have to understand is, is, the pattern of what we've become is, is well-intended, has a good intention. It maybe worked for us when we were five, but it limits us now. And we have to start understanding that, oh, I am not the ego. I am not those patterns. I am not the control. 
Oh, that's not who I am. It's just what I learned to be in order to function and survive. And so when we can understand that even the controllingness that we do has a good intention, it's a limited effect, but a good intention, then we can learn to begin to meet ourselves with some compassion. And, and to me, that's the key. When we can start seeing the patterns that we do, not as what we are, but as patterns that have been created, and then meet the resistance and the patterns with love and compassion. Because, oh, I get that I'm afraid. And I get that this control is trying to protect me from getting hurt. And the fear of surrender is if I surrender and I let go, who knows what will happen? I might get hurt again. No, let me, let me, let me just close and control. So control is a strategy of the ego to keep you safe, but it's limited. So the job of the ego is to protect you from getting hurt again like you were heard, and the job of the ego is to reinforce its existence. So if I'm in control and I'm always doing, 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 then I must be real. And, and, and so we don't realize that we end up now getting in our own way in many ways rather than getting out of the way and allowing life to flow. So if we can meet ourselves with a bit of compassion, a bit of gentleness, some loving, then healing can happen and those parts of us that are afraid can begin to soften and begin to relax. I think that is uh, described beautifully that you would not move away from the, that resistance, but to live with it and even yes. meet it with compassion. I think that's yes. beautiful. Just like you described your whole story uh, in a beautiful, inspiring way, I hope it invites the listener to be aware of the opportunities that are that we are surrounded by, that the people we are surrounded by to listen more to that inner voice that you call the truth. What is something you want to, as a wrap up, what, what do you want the listener to explore in their selves? Yeah, I think everything I, I've said, much of it, I would just invite you to consider that surrender is the most powerful thing that you can do. That surrender is the real secret to manifestation. Surrender is the key to your next level. And surrender is the password to freedom. And if you want more joy, more abundance, more bliss, more love, more magic in your life, the key is surrender. And the more you surrender, the more magic you will experience. And when you surrender, you will transcend yourself. When you transcend yourself, that's when life will begin to express through you. And life will begin to use you. And life will begin to manifest through you. And miracles will happen in your life beyond what you could even imagine, beyond what you could have even planned for yourself. And so... Surrender was the key. Surrender. Let that be the message of this podcast conversation. You have two beautiful books. You have a very energetic Instagram account, just like you, you were energetic in, the, in this conversation. Where can people find you? Where do you want to interact with? Yeah, people? a couple of ways. I would say definitely get the book. Get the book, The Magic of Surrender. It's available on Amazon. You can find it on get the paperback version. It has a lot of gems and it's a roadmap to how to live surrender in everyday life. Number two, you're really inspired by the conversation. Maybe you feel that you've been put on the planet for a purpose bigger than yourself and you're ready to heal. You're ready to transform. You're ready to, to sort of remove some of the blocks that prevent you from surrendering fully and sharing your gifts with the world this December, the 5th through the 16th. I'm doing a very, very, very special event, live event in Bali, Indonesia. The last 12 years, 
I've done 21 of these deep transformational events, probably the deepest level of my work. This December will be the last event I do in Bali, but it's going to be very special. It's called Boundless Bliss, the Bali Breakthrough Experience. You can find out more, www.boundless.com. That's boundbali.com. Go to the website, watch the video and apply. If you feel the calling, it will change your life. People can find me on Instagram, Coot Blackson, my name, K-U-T-E, Coot Blackson. Facebook, Coot, K-U-T-E, Love Now. And my podcast, Soul Talk. Perfect. I highly recommend to check out all of those sources of information and energy and inspiration. Coot, I want to thank you for your time and thank you for this interaction with me. I hope everything will unfold uh, like you wanted to so thank you thank you